Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In today's episode, I will be talking with Sarah Reardon. Sarah is a doctor of physical therapy and a board-certified women's health physical therapist. Sarah specializes in the treatment of pelvic floor disorders, including pelvic pain, bowel and bladder dysfunction, painful sex, and pregnancy and postpartum recovery. She is the owner of NOLA Pelvic Health, a pelvic health physical therapy clinic in New Orleans and founder of The Vagina Whisperer, an online resource for pelvic health education to support and empower and educate women worldwide. She is mama to two boys, a wife, Saints fan, and a wannabe yogi. Today's episode will cover topics such as the most common issues seen postpartum pertaining to the pelvic floor, when to seek help during pregnancy and postpartum, and painful sex postpartum, why does it happen, and what you can do. Let's dive right in. All right, Sarah, are you there? I am here, Lindsay. So happy to be here. Great. I'm so happy to have you. I know my audience is very excited to ask you a boatload of questions at the end of this. And I just wanted to jump in quickly and talk about how I initially found you, which is a couple years ago now after my third was born and I was experiencing this terrible tailbone pain. And I had no idea what it was from. I assumed it was probably from the birth, but after about four, five, six months, it never went away. And I don't remember exactly how I came across you. And I was like, wow, a pelvic floor physical therapist. Oh, wait, my tailbone pain might be related to my pelvic floor and all of these other things. And I, I had no idea of what a pelvic floor PT even did or even that they existed. And it became something I was really passionate about as far as educating women that, you know, these physical therapists do exist and that they are crucial, I feel like, to the postpartum phase that women have to go through. So Sarah, before we dive into the topic at hand, why don't you go ahead and tell us what is the pelvic floor? So the pelvic floor is a basket of muscles that sit at the base of your pelvis. So we're, we're probably all familiar with what a pelvis looks like. You have your pubic bone in the front and then in the back you have your sacrum and tailbone and then you have kind of have your hips on the side. At the very base of that is a basket of muscles that support your pelvic organs. So your bladder, which holds urine, your rectum, which holds poop, your uterus, which holds a growing fetus during pregnancy, all rest inside of there, kind of like a hammock or a basket. And then the outer layer of those pelvic floor muscles have three openings, one for the urethra, which is where urine exits, um, one for the vagina for vaginal birth and vaginal intercourse, and then one for the anal opening where poop exits. So, you know, we it's funny because we don't hear about these muscles a lot, but they are clearly responsible for some really important functions like peeing and pooping and sexual health and birth. And so these muscles can often be affected during pregnancy when things get lengthened and kind of weakened over time as, you know, that hammock has to support more and more weight with a growing baby. And then they can also be affected during childbirth, whether you have a vaginal birth or a cesarean birth, there can still be kind of weakness or some scar tissue affecting those muscles. 
Awesome. Thank you for that description because I know I didn't know exactly what the pelvic floor was when I gave birth. And I feel like this is definitely education that should be given to us, you know, up front the second we become pregnant or even while we're trying to get pregnant, you know, figuring out, you know, what the pelvic floor is and how we can support it during our journey to getting pregnant and being pregnant and postpartum. No, absolutely. And I also think that, you know, if something is wrong in one of these arenas, like, you know, urinary leakage or constipation or pain, it's like, where do, what's going on, you know, and like, who do you even go see? So just kind of knowing that there are muscles down there and that as physical therapists, we work with muscles and muscles in this arena can really help kind of support women and just give them information about, you know, where they need to go for help. Yes. And I will add, I, I really want to be this advocate. I don't know how we could make this happen, Sarah, but maybe we can. I would absolutely love to see a requirement to see a pelvic floor physical therapist at some point during your pregnancy and at some point postpartum worked into what they require for women's health going forward. Like I, you know, they have this six week visit that's required, which they say is going to actually be split up into two visits, hopefully one that's sooner than six weeks, because it's kind of crazy that we don't see anybody until six weeks postpartum, but to also see a pelvic floor PT worked into that, I just feel like would be so beneficial for so many women. And it's something that I've been thinking about ever since I was working with you. And I don't know how we can make it happen, but right. I know. <laughs> Maybe we can. Goal. <laughs> <laughs> Who do we talk to? Right. The American College of Obstetri- uh, Obstetricians and Gynecologists. So it's my life's work. I know somebody was like, when are you going to, you know, feel like you've really had an effect? I'm like, when we change the way that the system is run, yes. you know? So, oh my gosh. So what do you think needs to happen? Like, do we need to sign a petition? (laughs) What can we, is there anything we can do? Right. I think it's happening, Lindsay. I mean, I really feel like with social media and just so much more access to information over the past three or four years, I've just seen an explosion in our field. And I think that women are, you know, learning about this specialty, I mean, through podcasts like yours and and just going to their medical provider saying, hey, I want to go see someone during pregnancy or, hey, I want to follow up with a pelvic floor PT postpartum. And so really advocating and asking for this service. And I think it will start to become more common practice. I think that would be great. And then, you know, the insurance companies will have to cover that as part of your, you know, standard of care. I feel like it really should be worked into there. And I and I can't believe that it isn't, you know. Right. Anyways, whatever you need from me, I'm on board. (laughs) We're doing it. We're doing it. (laughs) We're doing it. So I guess that will lead right into, you know, our first question, which is, uh, are there ways that women can prevent pelvic floor issues during pregnancy and before birth? Because I know a lot of these women were, were saying, you know, is there anything that I can be doing to kind of prepare myself for the actual birth process? So this is a great question, and I would like to say yes. The hard part is there hasn't been a ton of research on preventative care in pregnancy and postpartum just because this you know population of people doesn't get a ton of attention, as we know. But I think absolutely there are things we can do. You know, I always think about pregnancy and birth like we are you know, running a marathon and then you have a sprint at the end when you give birth and you wouldn't just go into that without training your body. And so there's a lot of things I think we can do with just, you know, understanding kind of the female anatomy, that there are muscles down there, what we need them to do during birth. You know, if you are 
giving birth vaginally, you want to make sure those muscles can relax well, and there are stretches and exercises you can do to facilitate that beforehand. If you are planning for a cesarean birth, there are stretches and things that you can do to also help prepare for that. And then definitely on the recovery side. So you know, we've started seeing a lot more women in our clinics and online to help prepare them for birth because I just don't feel like we're getting enough attention or information, you know, prior to giving birth. That is exactly it. So during all of my pregnancies, it was never relayed to me anything about, you know, training your pelvic floor or preparing it for the actual birth process. And I feel like there is so much missing within the pregnancy care that could be, there could be a pamphlet handed out or there could be, you know, a, not a necessarily a mandatory visit, but a suggested visit to a pelvic floor PT saying, listen, there are exercises, there are things that you can do to prepare for the actual birth of your baby. And then, you know, which would lead to a better postpartum recovery. There was actually a question from my community that I'll, I'll stick right in here because it has to do with this. And she had asked if there are any exercises that she can do during pregnancy to help strengthen my pelvic floor. So I think there were a lot of people that were saying, you know, can I do Kegels during um, pregnancy? That Will that help to A, push the baby out and B, help with my recovery? And so that was a, a big question that I kept seeing over and over again. So that would be great if you could address that. Sure. So I always explain just to kind of go back, take a step back to pelvic floor 101. These are muscles that sit at the base of your pelvis and they help support your organs. They help support growing baby during pregnancy. And they also have sphincters that keep in pee and poop during the day or night, you know, and conveniently until we can get to the restroom to empty. Now we need these muscles to be able to relax during vaginal birth to birth a baby. So your muscles don't actually push a baby out. They, we just need them to get out of the way so that the uterus can contract and push the baby out for a vaginal birth. So what I actually encourage a lot of women to do is to work on strengthening during pregnancy if they know that they may have pelvic floor weakness or want to prevent it, and really focus on that during the first two trimesters. But during that last trimester, really focus much more on relaxation. So I encourage people to do a lot of yoga and breathing exercises. And, you know, I just um, shared some tips about this to do like deep squats and things like that to open the pelvis and relax it so that during birth, you have more of relaxation so that baby can come on down the birth canal. Okay. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I didn't know much about this, you know, with my first and second, and it makes a lot of sense when you say it out loud, but I think most people think, oh, you know, if I strengthen this muscle, I'm going to be able to, you know, shoot that baby right out in two <laughs> minutes versus, you know, a two hour, three hour ordeal. Um, but it makes a lot of sense because, you know, what I learned with my fourth baby was actually the more that you relax, the faster that baby comes out. <laughs> right. Yeah. I feel the same way. It's much more about letting go during birth than it is about like, you know, pushing. And I think that that's yes. kind of a, a misconception that it's what we see on TV and it's what we hear a lot of like, you've got to push and push and push. But oftentimes it's just letting go. And yes, you do want to push. And, you know, I encourage people to try to breathe when they're pushing instead of holding their breath because holding your breath can be exhausting and lead to, you know, pelvic floor weakness or hemorrhoids and all these things. But it's really about, yeah, letting go and, and softening and relaxing versus like, you know, trying to push so hard sometimes. Absolutely. And I'll add in here, one of the, the best words of advice I got from a friend was, she said, Lindsay, this was going into my third birth, which was my only birth that I did without an epidural. And she said, you know what you do? You just put your palms out to the sky and you relax your shoulders. And every time you get a contraction, you just try to relax as much as you can instead of 
you know, fighting against the contraction, you just give into it and kind of relax into it, which is honestly one of the hardest things I've ever done, but extremely successful at getting that baby out quick and fast and an awesome recovery. So, I mean, it's something that you don't really think about, especially when you're in the moment and trying to labor and push the baby out, but it really helps to think, okay, I need to relax. I need to open my palms. I need to relax my shoulders. And it really, really helps. Wow. That's an, yeah, that's a great recommendation. And it is easier said than done and in the moment, but you kind of, if you go into your head and kind of let go a little bit, you really are able to kind of relax through those contractions as difficult as it may be. Exactly. So, so when should somebody seek your help, pelvic floor physical therapy? When should they seek that during pregnancy or after birth? So I love seeing women during pregnancy. I think it's just there's so much that we can do on the preventative side with teaching people how to, you know, get out of bed without, you know, too much abdominal pressure, get out of a chair, how to prevent back pain and pubic symphysis pain and all of these things. Just again, your body is going through so many changes and there's not a lot of education on how to manage those changes or things that we can do to prevent issues later down the line. And then also a lot of is exercise. So like, do we need to modify our exercises? How do we change that? And there's so much misinformation out there about what you can do and what you can't do that I really think, you know, working with a physical therapist during pregnancy can be so helpful. And then again, during the last trimester, we help women prepare a lot for the childbirth process, whether they are having a vaginal birth, cesarean birth, um, a VBAC, which is a vaginal birth after cesarean you know, research is showing that if women feel more empowered going into the process and during the birthing process, they report better birth, you know, they feel like they had a better birth outcome, whether it was whatever type of birth, if they feel like they had, you know, some autonomy and control over the process. And we also have partners come in. So if you have a partner who, you know, I know my husband, it was like I was going into labor that day. (laughs) I was in labor and I walk into the bedroom and he's like reading chapter one of the birth partner. I was like, it's a little late, you know, (laughs) would have been helpful a couple weeks ago. Oh, man. (laughs) I know. So to have, you know, a partner come in and we can help facilitate that and train them how to support you during labor and birth, I think is a really awesome step as well. Absolutely. I totally agree with that because half the time they're just kind of standing off the side like, do I engage? Do I not engage? Do I engage? Right. Right. And what do I do? And what is perineal massage and how do I do it? So um, that's that's pregnancy. And then on the postpartum side, we really love to at least have one follow-up with postpartum mom. So somewhere between four to six weeks postpartum, you know, we love moms to bring their babies in because I think childcare is one of the biggest challenges postpartum. And, you know, just do a pelvic floor and abdominal wall check for them. Again, if they want to go back to exercise or sex or just day-to-day life, like, is that okay? What can they do to modify? What if they're having pain? So just giving them some support and strategies for recovery. Awesome. So I guess the first question is, what if somebody wants to get involved with a pelvic floor physical therapist? Do they go through their OB? It's a great question. So um, most OBs and midwives will typically have a relationship with a physical therapist in their community, whether it's at the same hospital or they just know of someone. So I would ask them first. Okay. The unfortunate situation is I often hear that, oh, my doctor said I don't need to do it until afterwards. Or they said this is normal during birth or during pregnancy, so just kind of we'll worry about it after. When that is not my preference. I mean, I if I'm peeing my pants or having back pain, I'm like, no, get me help now. I don't want to wait for this for six exactly. more months. I think talking with your medical provider is a first step. 
also talking with your other mom friends in the community. I think moms are the best resources for any type of insight related to pregnancy and birth. So asking if you know they've seen anyone or know anyone in the community. In most states, you don't have to have a referral to see a pelvic floor PT for an, at least an initial evaluation. So you can at least find one and go in. And then also Google, or there's a couple of PT locators. I have them on my website where you can go and look for a pelvic floor physical therapist in your area. So lots of options. Oh, that's great. I can add that into the show notes as well. So actually, I'm going to add in my little personal experience here after I spoke with you. So initially, you know, I had spoke with you, we had a video call, it right. was, and you had your, um, your little pelvic, <laughs> your pelvic, uh, your, model, floor, your yeah. pelvic floor model there. And you were showing me everything that you were talking about. And it all made a lot of sense. And it was really helpful. And then we decided to try to find somebody within my area. And I actually called my OB to get the referral. And they had that same response, which was, oh, let's just see how this goes. You know, and this was, I think it was, gosh, like four or five months postpartum. And I was like, no, I shouldn't be having severe tailbone pain <laughs> four or five months postpartum. And I actually just went ahead and, you know, found somebody myself and was able to do that with my specific insurance. So I do think, you know, once you check in with your insurance company and see exactly what you what you can have as far as your deductibles and things like that to see if it's a possibility, doing it on your own is is great. And advocating for yourself is always the best thing to do. If you think that you need to get help for something, then I think that you should absolutely move forward and and do that no matter no matter what. So if somebody doesn't have a pelvic floor PT, what if it's, you know, 2 hours away? Do, is there something that you offer that they could do virtually? Yeah, so just as you mentioned, I mean, we met via video call and I remember talking to you and I could see your face and I remember you like taking it all in. And what's interesting is like we're both in healthcare, but you know, if, if you don't have knowledge that like this particular type of PT or postpartum recovery rehab exists, you just, we just don't know. And so we do offer virtual sessions. I offer them with a team of physical therapists. A lot of physical therapists, pelvic floor PTs offer them as well, especially during the time of COVID, you know, whether it's safety or distance or childcare, you can meet with an, a pelvic floor therapist online. And, you know, we don't necessarily do like internal pelvic floor assessments during that process. But I think a lot of it is just education of like, hey, these this is what's likely going on. These are stretches or exercises that you can start now. These are things you maybe need to modify or stop now. And just giving someone some immediate tools and tips to help versus saying, just deal with it. Um, and then over COVID, we also started doing online classes. So, you know, just recording some webinars and putting them out there for childbirth preparation, postpartum recovery, you know, just a, again, a lot of education to help reach moms everywhere that may not have access to a, a pelvic floor PT. I think that's great. I think it's great because like I said before, going to all of these prenatal appointments, you never hear anything about it. You know, oh, your baby's doing great. Everything's great. Well, what about me? What about the fact that I can't do a jumping jack without peeing in my underwear, you know, and it's, it's something that I feel like really needs to be addressed. And, you know, these webinars are probably going to be really, really great for women who have no idea that they could be doing things prior to, to the birth of their child to prepare and to make it a better postpartum recovery. Are these available on your website? 
They are. They're available on my website. We have everything up there. And it's kind of, you know, we have a ton of free information that blogs on pregnancy and postpartum. And then we have online courses and the sessions. And um, we also started, it's so funny because COVID was really a time where I had to shut the clinic down here in New Orleans. But there were so many projects I had wanted to do. And I was like, oh, now I can actually do them, you know? And so we created a pregnancy and pelvic floor fitness program where it's like weekly workouts and pelvic floor tips. Again, just to really help empower moms. I felt, I feel so lucky that I, you know, chose this profession and this path where I have a lot of awareness about my body and I still have pelvic floor problems. And so I'm thinking, what is everybody else doing that doesn't even know about this or know where to get help? Well, they're not doing anything. Right. <laughs> I know it's a bummer. Because they think it's normal. I mean, I know. they think that they think that it's long recovery and, and feeling, you know, like you're going to pee yourself every time you sneeze or cough or do a jumping jack is normal. I mean, I remember saying that after my first, I had bladder, pro- like a very slight bladder prolapse. And I, you know, would, would pee myself while doing jumping jacks and things like that. And people are like, oh, well, you had a baby. That's pretty normal. And I'm like, what? So then I, I mean, I really, I, after my first baby, I was like, oh, I guess it might be normal because a people don't talk about it. Right? right. And then when they do talk about it, all all they've heard is, well, what you're feeling or what you're experiencing is normal because you've had babies. And I think just, you know, talking about this and educating and bringing light to it is just going to make all the difference. No, I love it. And I love that you've really, you know, dedicated a lot of you know, time and just, you know, even having me on to just, I think that if you're, you know, it really helps so many people and just having the ability to share your own personal experiences and say, hey, I think we need to talk about this, just helps so many people who don't even realize that they may need help. And, you know, one of my biggest things is people are like, well, how do I know if it's a problem? And I always say, if you think it's a problem, it's a problem. Exactly. So it's, it's such a personal thing that if somebody else doesn't mind wearing liners, like, great. But if you do, then that's that's an issue worth addressing for you. Exactly. All right. So I think this is a perfect time to kind of jump into my community's um, questions that they had for you. And I'm going to go into this first question because I'm curious myself. What are some of the most common pelvic floor issues that you see postpartum within your clinic? So I would say one of the ones that we mentioned, so urinary leakage, and typically urinary leakage with exercise. A lot of us are active and we want to go back to running or CrossFit or you know, high-intensity workouts. So if we don't retrain these muscles that have been weakened throughout pregnancy and birth, then you know they're just not going to work for us the way that we need them to pre-pregnancy. So I would say urinary leakage is probably one of the more common ones. And then another big one is painful sex. Hands down, it's something that we don't always anticipate. We think, again, it might be normal, but how long is it normal? And, you know, the majority of women who give birth either have some slight perineal tearing during birth of the vagina, at the vagina, and then also, or may have a cesarean birth. And so you can have painful sex or pelvic floor issues even after a cesarean birth. So painful sex is probably another big one. And then We also don't think of this one related to the pelvic floor, but abdominal separation, which is also called diastasis recti. So that's when, you know, you kind of see this doming or coning of the midline of the abdominals during pregnancy, and it doesn't always go away postpartum. And some people still, like, they feel like they look pregnant and they're not pregnant. So the abdominal separation and kind of core weakness is definitely related to the pelvic floor, and that's another really common one. Yes. So I have a couple follow-up questions for that. So the stress incontinence that you mentioned, when 
does somebody seek help for that? So if somebody is experiencing, you know, urinary leakage and they are eight weeks out, 10 weeks out, is that something they should be concerned about? Or when should the alarm kind of go off that they need to seek attention? So I would say right at that time. You know, there are some okay. studies that show that that women who are experiencing stress incontinence at 12 weeks postpartum will still be experiencing it at one year postpartum. So I think at that time period, you know, if when you're coming up on that 12-week mark, I would say that would be a time I would go in and start working with a pelvic floor PT at that time. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's great. And then vaginismus. Okay. So Let's talk about a little bit about what this is because we kind of briefly touched on it just now. And they want to know how do I help my body to relax again? Because this can be a really big issue that leads to painful sex after uh, you have babies. Right. So vaginismus by definition means spasm of the vaginal wall muscle. So if we think about the vagina like a canal, um, for a vaginal birth, we want that canal to open up and relax. But also for vaginal intercourse, you need to be able to relax those muscles to allow something to insert, whether that's a penis, a dildo, a tampon, a pelvic, you know, a speculum during a pelvic exam. But if those muscles are kind of tight or in spasm, it doesn't allow insertion into the vagina. So I always explain this like I get really tight neck and shoulder muscles and I end up having a headache or I get migraines. And it's kind of the same things. These are muscles like any other muscles in your body. If they get tight or tense, they're not going to relax well when we need them to relax. And that can cause painful intercourse. Now, vaginismus usually feels like a partner's penis is hitting a wall or like you can't like get past the outer third of the opening of the vagina and it can cause pain during sex. Well, if something's painful, you don't want to keep doing it and you can't really relax, let alone enjoy it if you're having pain. So you know, vaginismus can happen prior to pregnancy, it can happen during pregnancy, but it can definitely happen after pregnancy as well. Now, do we know why it happens? No, I mean, I think that, you know, people often want to know why, and there's a variety of reasons. It could be trauma, you know, and not just like sexual abuse or trauma, it could be birth trauma. It could be, you know, painful scar tissue from a perineal tear and episiotomy. It could be vaginal dryness that causes pain, and then your muscles kind of tense up in response to that. It could be posture. I mean, you know, like I'm sitting all the time breastfeeding, or I'm, you know, laying around with like kind of crappy posture, and, you know, that could affect your pelvic floor. So there's a lot of reasons that it it can happen. And it's almost like back pain. Like, why does back pain happen? Like, something mechanically could be altered, and that just causes pain as a response. So, how do you address that in, in your clinic, for example? How would you address that? So if someone comes to see us in person, I mean, the first thing we do is we teach them like, hey, these are the muscles. This is what's going on. And I think that that's a little bit of a light bulb moment. Often I feel like when women are having painful sex, they're like, something's wrong with me. You know, like their doctor's running them through these batteries of tests of infections and all this stuff. And they're like, that's, you know, it can kind of feel very isolating. And then also we, you know, we work a lot on breathing. So diaphragmatic breathing, which is kind of a modification of belly breathing to help the muscles relax down there. We work on external and internal massage of the pelvic muscles. So, and when I say massage, it's, you know, literally like inserting a finger into the vagina and pressing on the muscles to help relax and release them. Just like you would get a massage on your shoulders to help relax your shoulder muscles. It's doing that internally. And then there's some other kind of, you know, stretches and and things that someone can do at home. But there's definitely, I mean, vaginismus, it's, it's actually one of my favorite things to treat because it's really straightforward. And it's so empowering to help a woman 
you know, overcome this and really start having pain-free sex again. It's really can be life altering for them. Yes, absolutely. And another question that goes along with that, that we've touched on a little bit is how long postpartum will it hurt to have sex and why does this happen? And I know you touched on it briefly, but if we can kind of separate the reasons why this, this happens, because I, this is something that I feel like is not talked about enough. And people think that this is, again, a normal phenomenon that happens after birth. Well, it's going to be painful to have sex for the next year, you know, and that's normal. And what can people be doing um, after, you know, the recovery, after that six weeks, what can they be doing to make it a more enjoyable experience? Right. So some of the reasons that it may occur are, you know, vaginal dryness. So vaginal dryness is, is very common postpartum. If you're lactating, breastfeeding or pumping, your estrogen levels are lower in your body, which is why your menstrual cycle doesn't return for some time. And that lower estrogen level causes vaginal dryness. So it's almost like your vagina's in menopause, <laughs> you know, yes. but you've just yes. given birth. Yes. And so I, you know, I recommend using a water-soluble lubricant um, when you try to have intercourse. Don't try it without it because vaginal dryness is really common. Another thing that people can do just during the day um, is they can use coconut oil, vitamin E oil, just to kind of moisturize the tissues if they're postpartum. I think about all of the products I put on my face for moisture, and I'm like, we don't even think about what we need to do if there's dryness down there. Exactly. The second thing is another reason for painful sex is because of scar tissue. And if you've had a perineal tear or an episiotomy, that scar tissue doesn't kind of relax the same way that the previous tissue did. So it can feel restricted. It can often feel like it's tearing. And even with a cesarean birth, you know, if you have scar tissue at the abdominal wall, that same fascia, which is like a layer of tissue deep inside the abdominals, is connected to the pelvic floor. So scar tissue is a, is a real, you know, very common issue for painful sex as well. So there's really easy things that we can do with this. Like we teach women how to do perineal massage, just like we do prior to birth. We teach them how to do it postpartum. We teach people how to do cesarean scar massage as well, which can help. And so all of these, again, really proactive tips can be helpful. You know, if you, if you have sex, the after the first or sec, have pain with sex after the first or second time, I would go ahead and start seeing a physical therapist. And it literally can take two sessions and they can be, you can be so much better. Yes, exactly. I definitely agree with all of that. And one of the most, one of the most common questions I always get, and I think is a really great question is, is it ever too late to fix your pelvic floor? Depending if you're, you know, three months postpartum versus 30 years postpartum, if you're still having issues, is it ever too late? No, it is never too late. I mean, we have our pelvic floors and vaginas have to last us a lifetime. I mean, but it's never too late. I mean, the other day in my clinic, I had a young woman who was 27 ish years old, never had kids, and she was coming in for something and she walked out. And then I had another woman walk in who was 72 years old and coming to see me for some other issues. So I'm, it was such like a beautiful moment. Like at yes. any season in a woman's life, you can help them. And so, it's never too late. We've seen women so many years postpartum, and even people who've never had kids who may develop pelvic floor issues over time, we've helped them. So I, I absolutely encourage it at any time. I love that. That's great. And I think, you know, everybody thinks that, you know, if I don't get help right away or I don't get help a couple months after, I, I'm doomed and this is going to be something I forever have to deal with. And that's just not the case, which is very comforting. No, absolutely. And I think one of the things also is that like in those early postpartum stages, we don't even have the energy or capacity to go into pelvic floor therapy. 
I mean, I feel like for me, it took me a year after my second kid to be like, okay, I can finally take care of myself now. So it's never too late. Yeah, that and you just don't realize it because <laughs> you're right. so busy. <laughs> you're doing your hand, you know, especially if you have, you know, two, three, four kids, you're like, oh my gosh, wait, I have been, oh, I've been urinating <laughs> every time I <laughs> yeah. laugh or cough. I should probably look into that when I have a free moment. Right. Yeah. So the, the bottom line is it's never too late and you can absolutely save your vagina. So <laughs> another common question I received was, how do I know if I have prolapse? So, I mean, one, you'd have to get diagnosed. So either typically you would see uh, what's called a urogynecologist, which is a gynecologist with kind of a specialty in pelvic floor issues. Um, that's a physician. And then you could also check in with a pelvic floor physical therapist. So prolapse typically feels like heaviness or pressure in the vagina. It feels like something's falling out or rubbing. It could feel like a tampon's in there when it's not. And some of the common symptoms are like urinary leakage, incomplete bladder emptying, constipation things like that. And so I had a little bit of this after my second child. I was, you know, trying to go back doing like all these like jumping workouts and afterwards I would feel like something feels like it's rubbing inside. And you know, I was a long-term breastfeeder, so you typically have a little bit more tissue laxity and weakness when you're breastfeeding for an extended period. But yeah, so that's what it feels like. And so again, trust that go ahead and get checked. Again, it's common postpartum, but it's not something that you just have to deal with. And so I would go ahead and get it and get it checked out. Absolutely. And I will add a little brief experience, personal experience into that, which was after my first, I had uh, a pretty traumatic birth experience where I, I pushed for about four and a half hours and essentially pushed my bladder right out with the baby. And postpartum, of course, I was, we had some complications with the baby and we were dealing with all of that. And so I was kind of just brushing my issues to the side, of course, and just worrying about getting breastfeeding down and worrying about how much weight the baby was gaining. And then gosh, like week eight, week 10, I was like, Oh, what is that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) What is that bulging? What is that? When I was walking, I felt like like you said, it felt like there was a tampon that was half in, half out. And it was like rubbing and it was just a very uncomfortable feeling. And so when I had went to my postpartum visit, it was it was like eight weeks. It wasn't at the six week uh, mark. And I went in and I said, what is going on? And I did have a little bit of some bladder prolapse, which you know they did mention it wasn't going to get better while I was breastfeeding because of the laxity and just the dryness. And I guess the, the estrogen levels really add to all of that. So they actually had given me an estrogen cream to replace what I wasn't getting as far as the hormone. And it did help for a very brief amount of time, but you're not supposed to use it for long-term. And so I only used it for about a month, which did help a little bit, but it got significantly better after I was done nursing, which was great. And that's not the case for everybody, but you know, this was a very minor prolapse that did completely resolve after I was done nursing. So I think that's a really great thing to to talk about because some people get really frustrated, you know, after birth thinking that this is going to be like this forever, or they're going to need some medical procedure to, in order to fix it. And I guess my next question that has to do with that is, is there things that we can do besides surgery to fix prolapse? Absolutely. So, um, and to your point, you know, and I think it, it's worth mentioning that kind of what you said, like it takes a long time to recover after birth. And especially if you are breastfeeding or lactating. So 
You know, I think that we think at six weeks we're supposed to be back to normal. And I'm like, oh, no, girlfriend, that is just the start. (laughs) I mean, your body is still going through a lot of changes hormonally and physically. And, you know, you can get pelvic floor PT then to support you. It's not like you have to wait until you're done breastfeeding to to go ahead and go. I would say that for prolapse, you know, pelvic floor therapy and exercise has been shown to actually decrease a prolapse from we grade them of like grade one, two, three, four. It can change an entire grade and actually kind of help re-support and relift the organs. There's also, you know, external supports that people can wear. There are internal supports that you can put internally that look like tampons or a, what's called a pessary, which is like a pelvic organ support. Um, so there are a lot of things that you can do prior to surgery. And I, you know, I always tell people too that you know, if you want to have additional children, like go for it. A lot of the research is showing that it's only during like the majority of the changes happen during the first birth. So if you have prolapse during the first birth, it's not necessarily going to get so much worse after the second, third, or however many births. But there's also things you can do like learning how to push or work on pelvic floor relaxation going into birth and, you know, different things that you can take for preventative measures. But there's a lot that you can do prior to surgery. Yes. I love that because, you know, I. I was under the impression after my first that it was going to be so much worse for me after my second baby. And it was one of my worst fears. And lo and behold, four babies later, I have never had another issue with it. So it just goes to show you, it has a lot to do with many different factors. And just because you have that experience the first time around doesn't mean that you're going to have it the second, third, fourth time around. Absolutely. So another question, let's see here. This has to do along with the lines of prolapse. Erectocele. What is erectocele and can it be fixed with pelvic floor physical therapy? Yeah. So we are getting into the nitty gritty, which I love. And (laughs) (laughs) we're about to talk about pooping, which I also love. (laughs) Oh, we should dive into that just a little bit because (laughs) it is (laughs) pooping postpartum is something that people do not, that needs to be an entire webinar. Right. Totally. In and of itself. (laughs) Totally. So nobody tells you that like sometimes taking the first poop after birth can be worse than actually giving birth. So yes. And we do have a pooping webinar for that reason because Ooh. there are such simple things that you can do to help. So a rectocele is a type of pelvic organ prolapse. And prolapse is when your organs kind of start to sink down or be a little bit less supported by that basket of muscles and they can kind of push into the vaginal wall. So a rectocele is when your rectum you know, which is in the back of your pelvis, kind of pushes into the vaginal wall and poop can actually kind of pocket in there. It often feels like, you know, like you're trying to like push all the poop out and it's stuck or you actually feel like there's some in there and you just like can't get it all out. Some of it is weakness so that you have weakness in those vaginal walls. Again, it can be due to estrogen levels or pelvic floor weakness. But actually what causes erectocele sometimes is tension. And we haven't talked a ton about pelvic floor tension, but it's, you know, even in the case with you, Lindsay, when you had tailbone pain, a lot of it is kind of tension in the area. Yes. So when you have a lot of tension, your muscles can't relax well when you're trying to poop. And so you end up straining for a really long time. And that's what causes the prolapse of the rectocele to happen. So we teach people, you know, the first thing is to put a stool under your feet, like a squatty potty, which I believe every pregnant and postpartum woman should have in their home and it should be in the hospital rooms. But, you know, to put a stool under your feet because it relaxes your pelvic floor and that helps you empty better. I encourage like breathing when you're pooping instead of holding your breath. So I always say blow out like you're blowing out a bunch of birthday candles when you're pushing instead of holding your breath. 
And there's even kind of little tricks or tips like inserting your finger kind of into the vagina and pushing back or supporting kind of the perineum, which is the area between the vagina and the rectum while you're pooping. So just trying to give that area some support to help you empty better. But again, during you know, physical therapy, we work a lot with, you know, relaxing the muscles if they're tense, strengthening the muscles if they're weak, and teaching you how to prevent this from getting any worse so that the rectocele doesn't continue to occur. That's great. Yeah, I love that. And I'm I'm gonna link to the the webinar for pooping in the in the show notes because <laughs> I really I mean, that is definitely something no nobody talks about. And I mean, it's so, so, so important. And I if there was a poll that asked women, you know, if you have trouble pooping postpartum, I, I swear it's it's probably close to 100%. Right, it is. I mean, and so I'm like, you know, in the hospital, I'm like, take the stool softeners day one. Like just absolutely start taking them. You're going to be dehydrated. You need to keep your poops off. You need to drink tons of water. And then again, like we literally teach you how to poop so that you don't like, yes. you know, injure the areas that are already kind of tender and vulnerable. And, you know, when you're nursing, you are very dehydrated, right? You're yep. you're pumping out all this milk for your baby. And the last thing you're doing is keeping, especially with my first, I mean, I was drinking zero water. I was just worried about my baby. And your body will feed that baby, but unfortunately, you're going to pay for it. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm pooping fine. You know, first couple times went great. I don't need these stool softeners. No problem. Throw them off to the side. What a mistake that is. <laughs> I mean, if there is one thing to tell people, it is absolutely take those stool softeners. And like you said, just drink more water than you even think that you need because it is definitely necessary. Right. So last question here for today. So somebody asked, does your lower back pain have to do with a weak pelvic floor after babies? This is a great question. And so I really, you know, when we think about our core, we often think about just our abdominal muscles in the front. But I really describe our core, it's like a Coke can. And you have the top part, which is actually the diaphragm, which is your breathing muscle underneath your ribs. You have the bottom part of the Coke can, which is your pelvic floor muscles, which support everything in your pelvic cavity. You have your abdominals in the front, and then you have your low back muscles in the back. So that entire complex is really your core. And so if you have abdominal weakness or pelvic floor weakness, it can totally relate to low back pain. And also, I mean, during pregnancy, I'm just like, your abdominals are stretched out. You kind of have these weird postures where you're sticking your belly out and tucking your butt under. So everything just changes and your core just doesn't spring back together after birth. So, you know, we work a lot with women on kind of like retraining their core muscles and re-strengthening and that absolutely can help back pain. I recently, I mean, I'm four years postpartum and, you know, I don't know about you, Lindsay, but I am not the best at taking care of myself. <laughs> so <laughs> even though we're in the medical field, but I started having all of this low back pain and I fortunately, you know, have my pelvic floor therapist here in my own clinic and started seeing her and it helped me so much. And I was like, thank goodness I know about this because I would have just been suffering with it. And so yes. it's absolutely related. Isn't it so funny how we sometimes just don't take our own advice? Here we are giving all of this advice to all these women and then we <laughs> we sit here and we don't even take our own advice sometimes, but it's, it's it's so true. I mean, just taking those couple minutes to really address these things and I again didn't know that, you know, tailbone pain and back pain could be related to your core and to your pelvic floor. And so even just knowing that, these people are dealing with some of these women are dealing with severe back pain, you know, 
weeks, months, years after birth. And it could very well be something that they could fix on their own with a couple of visits to you or, right. um, or somebody else. So I think that that's really important to recognize. All right. So I give two questions to all of my interviewees and I want you to be as candid as you can when you answer these. And the first question is, if you could give one tip, just one to any mom, what would it be? I would say, I mean, obviously check in with a pelvic floor physical therapist because it will help you in so many ways. I agree with that. But even from a, I mean, I'll even take that a step back is to give yourself time to heal. I mean, I think I was in such a race to just get back to my normal life and to see my friends again and to get back to working out. And it literally can just not only physically impair you, but just like emotionally and mentally put so much pressure on yourself when you kind of have to lean into just that recovery period. Like you can't, be everything to everybody all the time. And I think that that was like me. I was trying to like still cook lunch for my husband and meet up with my friends for walks. And I'm like, I should have just been sitting in my bedroom with an ice pack on my vagina with my baby on my tongue, you know? And so just giving yourself some grace and giving yourself some time to heal. And just, I think if we were able to do that in the early, early stages, I think that that could help in the long run in so many ways. I totally agree. And I think the mentality here in the States is everything, you know, postpartum is, is rushed and everybody has to go back to work, you know, after six or eight weeks. And I mean, goodness, I mean, we, that's when you're going in for your checkup. And that's like you said earlier in this conversation, that's when your recovery really starts, you know, like you're, you're trying to get back to normal and here you are having to get pushed back into the workforce and it's just really difficult. So just focusing on yourself and trying to make as much time as you can for your recovery is, is really key. So the second question is, what is, this is totally unrelated, but something I think everybody will really appreciate because as a mom, I'm always struggling to figure out what to make for my family for dinner. What is your favorite go-to meal for your whole family? So your kids eat it and you guys love it too. Tough one, I right? Mean, so tough because I'm like, is it the Costco rotisserie chicken or is it the... You know I mean? Give them both. Give them both. I mean, I'm not a big foodie, so I can kind of get by with like bowls of cereal and salad um, at the end of the day. So, but I do live in New Orleans. So I will say that probably our go-to like cozy meal is like a a pot of gumbo where like the kids will eat the rice and the chicken and sausage. And then my husband and I will eat kind of the regular, you know, bowl of gumbo with cornbread and all that stuff. So that's kind of our go-to meal. You know, I probably make it a couple times a month in New Orleans and it's just easy and part of our life here. And I love that they get like a little, you know, New Orleans culture in their day-to-day life. So that's probably our, our go-to. That's great. I love that. So thank you so much, Sarah, for taking the time out to educate and empower women when it comes to their pelvic floors and their vaginas. Hashtag save the vaginas. (laughs) No. (laughs) That's what I'm going to name this this podcast. (laughs) I love it. And like I said before we even, you know, started, it was like we only get one. And so I just think that there's so much that we can do to prevent issues and that, you know, we are going to have issues. I mean, again, I'm in this field and I've had issues as well, but like how do we get help for them versus just think that they're part of a life, uh, this new season of life, we have to deal with them. So there's just, there's so many resources out there. And I just love that you're bringing this to light with your community. 
Exactly. Well, thank you so much for, for joining, Sarah. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.